Welcome to episode 141 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I just looked at the clock and 14 minutes have gone by and I'm still staring at a blank page. I'm trying to gather my thoughts for this week's podcast intro and can't help but laugh at the irony. Oh, you want in on the joke? This week, I wanted to share a resource that is helping me track where my time has gone. Ironic, right? I've noticed that I can get a ton done in the five minutes before I sit down to interview someone or do a coaching call. In those last few moments, I run around my home, putting things back in place, taking care of any last minute requests for my kids, refill my water glass, and much more. It's just five minutes, but it feels like it moves slower and I can squeeze more in than usual. The opposite happens when I'm procrastinating writing a blog post or a particularly difficult email response. It then seems like I'm getting nowhere fast. I just look at the clock again and another four minutes just flew by. Where does my time go? To answer that, I'm tracking my time for one week in 30-minute chunks. I've heard good things from people who've done this, and I'm sure it will give me greater insight into when I do my best work. When to tackle that task was the topic of last week's free masterclass. This was part of the magic of quarterly goal-setting series that I've been co-hosting with Heidi K. Weber. Our discussion was inspired by When, the best-selling book written by Daniel Pink. Your challenge for this week, find out where your time goes. We provided a resource to help you track your time. You'll receive that resource and an updated quarterly goal-setting workbook when you register for the free masterclass replay at robbysamuels.com forward slash goals two. That's the number two, robbysamuels.com forward slash goals two. Make time to watch the replay so you hear all the great takeaways we shared and lessons we learned while incorporating some of them into our own lives. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is made up of one part creativity, one part context, one part connections, and a sprinkle of playfulness. She is the founder and idea culturist behind Sajori, an innovation consultancy that nurtures organization behavior and helps businesses transition its culture into a fertile space for innovation. Some of her past accomplishments include designing a citywide leadership program for Toronto's youth and creating a multifaceted storytelling project in Montreal called My Arabic Story. After a master's degree in creativity, innovation, and change leadership from SUNY Buffalo in New York, she experimented with different methods to run innovation facilitation programs in government agencies in the United Arab Emirates. She is a TEDx and keynote speaker and a curator of the subscription box Imagine S by Sajuri, monthly inspiration to imagine happiness at work. Please join me in welcoming Rana Tahar. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robbie. I feel like a cocktail with all these parts, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) It's a happy hour now. (laughs) I love it, Rhonda. Thank you so much for joining your office in Dubai. It's a pleasure. I love the technology allows us to have this conversation. So as you know, and I know you're a listener, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, 
what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Thank you, Robbie. I love this question because it made me think of leadership not being a static thing. It's a very dynamic thing, and it doesn't have to mean people sometimes. You know, when you walk through a forest at night and you have some sort of a light source in your hand, you know, something, either a torch or even a flashlight, or maybe you create something that reflects the moonlight, right? So you are leading with an idea. And you have this thing in your hand that says, okay, I am trying to find my way through it. In this walk, if you decide, rather than going in the same direction that everyone else is going, you go into a new direction, right? So if you say, okay, I am trying to discover a new way of doing things, and then I'm marking my way through it, then you are leading with a process. If it happens that other people are joining you, and following your lead, right, and walking with you, then it could be that they are following you because they trust you as a leader, as someone who will figure things out, or it could be because they are following the light source in your hand. And if someone else has it, they will just simply move and follow someone else. And if you are doing it by yourself and, and for the sore, like for the only pur- purpose for you to discover something in yourself, maybe. Then you are leading yourself, you know, you are trying to change your mind, you are trying to change a habit, you are trying to discover something new, and then you are leading your own way, your own life. So leadership for me is not is like a combination of all. At any certain time, we all go, we all have a part in leadership, right? You're never you're never always a leader and you're never always a follower, but it's just keeping that in in your intention, right? In your focus. You know, the piece that I appreciated about that the most was the idea that sometimes people are following an idea or a concept more than even they're following the person. And if if that idea got transmitted to someone else, if the torch got passed, then they might just switch and follow follow that idea. That's interesting. Like, no one's really parsed that out for me before. But it's true that sometimes what we fall in love with isn't so much the person, but the message and it could be someone else delivering it. I mean, often though, the person who's delivering it has an impact, I guess, on the message though, right? Like it gives you the confidence around the idea. So that's, you know, if they, if they were timidly walking through the forest, you, may not, <laughs> you know, you may not want to follow them <laughs> no matter exactly. what, what they had in their hands. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> no matter what they had. Absolutely. I'll give you, I'll give you a very quick example. It also, um, it's something that I that uh, that you mentioned even in your very nice, well put intro. Thank you for that. So, a project that I ran years years ago in Montreal called My Arabic Story. It started with that. It started with an idea. I had a one year old son, and uh, coming from an Arabic background, so I am an Arab Canadian, and uh, I could not find any story from the Arabic heritage in any library in Montreal. And they had big libraries. All what I could find was, you know, Disney type stories. I couldn't, I couldn't find anywhere. So I said, okay, I'm going to get those stories. So I reached out to random people. <laughs> I found their emails and websites on, uh, inter- you know, on, on, uh, on websites. At that time, you know, the internet was still relatively young. You couldn't find stories, but you can find people you know, who put their emails on international nonprofit organizations. And I just massed emailed 
all those people, asking them, telling them basically, I have a son, I need stories. Can you ask your grandmother <laughs> if you have any stories to share in English or French, right? Because I want to tell them, I want to tell him the story. So this is this is leading an idea. And I was just doing it for the idea of getting these stories in. And then once I realized I have so many ideas and I started to tell those stories, like in a storytelling project, suddenly I had 10 more people, volunteers, who have no affiliation with the Arabic heritage, but love the idea of telling a story or love the ideas of the, of the, the, the culture itself. So they were curious about it. And for three years, we were doing storytelling, puppet shows, uh, wow. reading, some of them, you know, even wrote stories, illustration, all sorts of things based on those uh, stories that we collected for that original idea. So it started with leading with an idea to even the process was a little bit, you know, strange going, you know, doing that crowdsourcing the stories and then leading a group. And I did not realize that I was leading until, you know, we were already an, an organization. Right. <laughs> it just sort yeah. of happened upon itself. So, so tell me Rhonda, when did you like as a kid, were you thinking of yourself as a leader? Did you, were you sort of um, the person who put their ideas forward? Did you sit back and watch? Like, I did kind not of kid sit back and watch. <laughs> no, okay. I, I think I, I, I don't, I did not lead per se. I yeah. was, uh, I knew I was, I was a good problem solver. I knew I could easily find a solution for simple things, but I was very rebellious. I was always against everything. <laughs> And not in a bad way, but like anything that, you know, that is done and the answer is always, always, always do it that way. I was like, why? Why do you do it that way? And I, there always must be, you know, another way. And I have to try another way. So I don't think it was leading others as much as finding new ways. It was just, you know, amusing to me. Yeah. You were a curious kid. Now <laughs> you were saying, um, where were you born? You were not born in Canada. Where were you born? No, my, my parents were in Saudi Arabia when I was born for work. Right. So I was born in Saudi Arabia and then I moved to Canada back home. You know, I, then I moved and then I studied and, and, you know, got married, kids, everything, did the whole <laughs> bunch. <there. laughs> I, I have to say, I, I was admiring that just in a couple of paragraphs I read for your introduction at Maine named, you know, three countries, and uh, you, you know, before our, our chat, you said there's also Italy in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now you've added a fifth country because where you were born. So that that's a pretty cool. So I want to know, sort of, as you think about your your years, as you started to like, you know, you you went to school and you were a young professional. At what point did you start to think like I have the skills? Were, were there people who saw that in you, or or here's another way to ask this question: Were there mm -hmm people that you admired who were leaders that you were trying to become more like them? Like where were you on that leadership journey? And you're like, you know, let's yeah. say early twenties. Okay. Early twenties. I, I already had a kid, I think by 25 or 26. And I was, I was starting my career. I think, I think there was one, one thing that this is a, as far as I can remember, this is the turning point. I was working in a nonprofit organization part-time, I think, at that time. And I was in charge of running or putting together a program for people who are, who are finding it hard to find a job. So it was a career-oriented uh, program, different workshops. 
And again, uh, I was told, this is how we do it. You, you know, you make a list of things that are needed. They need to know how to manage their time, how to network, how to do all that. And then you simply, you know, organize it that way. You can ask them what do they need most, and then you organize it. And I didn't, <laughs> you know, my rebellious mind is like, no, there must be a, you know, a harder way, more complex way to do it. This is so simple. <laughs> so. I did something that later became a very strong tool, and I realized that I could, I could do it differently. I went to a bookstore, and I gathered different magazines, you know, all sorts of magazines. I, thought, I think I had 10 or 15 different magazines from different uh, industries. But here's the thing. I did not relate to any of these magazines. So I would pick... Uh, you know, uh, space magazines, engineering, uh, car mechanic, brides, you know, I, I didn't need that, uh, men's magazine, everything that is completely unrelated to what I did. And then I would open, scan and open, just read through it very quickly, trying to find what are the problems that the people are addressing in that magazine and how are they thinking about it? I, I was interested to see different ways of figuring out a problem. And again, I am looking, I'm going there with an intention to find a solution for my, for my career-related program, which has nothing to do with what I was looking at. And I found it. I found the answer in a car mechanic magazine. And, and the, the thing is, it was an article. I don't remember now the details, but the article said, how can you self-diagnose, right, your car? and then you know, find, you know, what's wrong with it and then put everything back together. So it was, you know, you have the shell and then you have different components and then how the, you know, the motor relates to everything else. So try to figure out what stays, what are, what are the main things that, that are always there and what tweaks you can do in order to change few things in your car. So I said, that's it. This is, this is my program. So I do have a shell. I, I created a shell. And, and these are the important things that need to go there. And at the very beginning of the program, I need to diagnose based on who's coming into this program, the people. I need to figure out how many uh, uh, hours do I need for each thing, right? And then I would change it based on that. Now, the end result did not seem different than any other program. Say, so, okay, then you, you're, you're listening to your people and you're tweaking. and It's, it's very normal. But then how did I get to it was, you know, way out of way. And then this tool going to the, you know, to the library and looking through different magazines has been with me since then. Every time I get stuck, I find my answer in a different magazine. What I love is that you're thinking outside your lived experience. So you're really open to the cross-pollination, the diversity of thought. And, you know, for most people, uh, they say, you know, your most innovative ideas come from the edges of your network. For you, these are ideas, innovations that are coming that are not even related to your network. You're like, I'm open to really looking at things that like, I would never cross path. Like, I'm so removed from this. That's, that's a pretty fascinating way your brain works, I have to say. But I think we could all take from it the idea that we probably already in our network have people that are dissimilar enough that they could give us a different perspective, you know, like we different industry, 
different generation, different cultural background. And that you're saying that like pulling from that is a, is a way forward when you're feeling kind of stuck. So I love it. So here's the, here's a question for you. You're, you're doing all this wonderful work today around innovation. So I'm not surprised we ended up talking about innovation. What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Um, I think the light bulb I see in people's faces when they realize, A, they are already very creative. They just didn't think in what way they are. So people say, you know, I, I don't do any creativity. I am not part of it. It's not part of my job. And then it's like, no, it's not. It is exactly part of your job because of the different methods you're using. And so when you give them some tools to you know, increase their level of creativity more intentionally. I think this is the best thing that I, that, you know, that makes me happy. And then when you see it uh, mushrooming everywhere in that organization, this is why I focus on the culture, not necessarily on, on the people only, because the culture is the basis. If you have the right culture for it, then the people will become more creative they will create different or creative processes, and then the products or services that they produce at the end will be very unique. So, yeah. So I'm kind of curious. The people that are hiring you uh, are not necessarily the same people that you end up working with. Like, you're, are you hired to come and work with a team? Is that part of what's happening? Uh, most of them are, no, they put teams together from different departments. This is so, my, like, to work my with you. Yeah. Yes. So and these are people who are, we call, I call them intrapreneurs with an I, right? Yes. So they're yes. working in their organization, but they have a different way of thinking. And they just this extra um, either tool or method, like how can I go from A to Z and, and make everyone else follow me? So I teach them facilitation, like how do you bring them all together? So that's... Uh, so they self-select that, though to be part of this process? Mostly, yes. Yeah. Mostly, yes. Which is great because then they're open to learning new ideas, even ones that to them seem maybe at first kind of a little uncomfortable. <laughs> they're like, I don't know how to do that. But they're, but they're entrepreneurs. And, and I, if anyone hasn't really heard of this concept, it, you know, entrepreneurship is fantastic, but you can stay in a company and apply a lot of the same principles and find, find new innovation, find creativity. And now you hear that there are people who come in and actually help you find that which yes. is fantastic. So share a little story about sort of how your work has an impact in the world. Um, previous or current you want? The current. Current. Okay. Um, all right. So I work in, I have four different methods that I keep going back to because I think they are very useful and helpful in the way that that make people think about a problem. So what I mean by a method is like what kind of process that you take. So some people maybe are familiar with the creative problem solving method. That's what I studied at uh, the International Center for Studies in Creativity in SUNY Buffalo, right? Uh, so it is a method that you take, you know, from understanding the problem to coming up with ideas to executing or implementing it. And then I thought that this method is brilliant but it's very, it's very um, cognitive. So it comes from the you know cognitive psychology. I I used the design thinking, and that's I started it like I started learning it ten years ago. I used it to uh, weave new like open new doors or different ways of looking at a problem, bringing in empathy, bringing in understanding the human 
um, you know, behavior within a, uh, a company. So design thinking and, and the service designs are those two methods that bring it down to the human level, right? So if you are dealing with a problem that needs people, you know, you're, you're creating this amazing software, you know, if it's a company that has a software, and then you're, you're giving it to this uh, other company, say, use it, it's brilliant, it will make your work more efficient, and then it fails. It fails very big. Why? Because they didn't take into account the person who's going to actually sit and fill all the details that are not very user-friendly. So I work with uh, companies, I work with organizations to help bring it down to the human level. And so these are the two things. And the last one, uh, this is what I am currently using and abusing, which is biomimicry, right? And this method, it basically learns from nature. What does nature uh, have or how did it discover uh, new processes, new uh, uh, strategies of working that it has been working for 3.8 billion years? And then how, we can, how can we take this and apply it to business? So talk about, you know, completely different fields, right? And then those four methods, um, the more that I use, the more that, you know, my clients that I work with or students that I have been teaching come back to me and say, okay, um, how can I, you know, how can I be better at this or what else can I learn and what are the tools within these methods that I can use in different ways? Uh, so I see a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction with that. Yeah. So this biomimicry is, is really interesting. And I'm curious, when you first learned of it, did you immediately think this is fantastic? I want to use it. Like, did you see an application for it right away for the work you were doing? Like, how, how did you make that leap? Yes. So two things happened. So when I first learned it, I fell in love with it because I love nature. I'm, all, I'm very afraid of bugs, by the way, but I love nature. I was like, I want to go into nature. And then when they say, you know, let's go out. I was like, no, it's too buggy. <laughs> so so here is, that was a dilemma for me. So for me, nature is perfect, right? It figured out so many things that we have no clue about. So the first five years of learning biomimicry, I was just absorbing it. I was just learning it. I was studying it. I was creating my own case studies, right? And, and having, you know, masterminds and, and people, you know, let's, let's study a new idea. And let's, let's apply biomimicry at. And then something happened. I went uh, to, to the Amazon. I went, I decided, you know, it was like last minute decision, <laughs> like everything else. I was like, I need, I need a change in my life. You know, I need, I need to uh, get new uh, information from a new source. Um, and I want to go to, uh, you know, I literally, if you have a globe, you know, this round globe and you just turn it and then it stops at somewhere and it stops at uh, the Ecuador. And I went there and I stayed in the Amazon with an Ashwar um, uh, community, a family, it was, it was, it w- they were very out of the grid completely. There was no even electricity in it. And I stayed with them only three nights, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a long stay, but it completely transformed the way that I see nature. So suddenly, nature, I am in, in nature's way. I am in those bugs' way. When I'm walking, I am in their way rather than, they are coming into my life. I am going into their lives, right? So, and then, and then a few things happened at that place that uh, made me realize that I I stand nothing against you know um, 
a 200-year-old tree. It has so much wisdom and knowledge and way of doing things. When I was bitten by something, a tree healed me. You know, when I got lost, you know, a, a, a different kind of insect helped me or helped us. You know, I had a guide uh, figure out my way. So I was, I was suddenly very, very, very small. So I said, okay, this is it. These are coming back to work with me. And so, yes, I immediately applied it and I started working with it. Uh, if you give me a problem to facilitate, I will use biomimicry in facilitating it. And then I will teach you how to do it so you can continue to do it. And that expanded into me getting more or bigger network of biologists, geologists, and different kinds of people that I've never uh, had the chance to network with before. I definitely want to talk about networking, but I have to also say, I don't know that I've ever met anyone in real life who spun a globe and jabbed their finger against it and then said, yep, that's where we're going. <laughs> there that's you go. so awesome. <laughs> I really like don't know anyone who's done that. And uh, also, if you're nervous about bugs in like, you know, your backyard and then you travel to the Amazon, that's that's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. I have no idea. I, I actually... Uh, I actually ate <laughs> bugs. It was it was high in protein. I was told, and it was really good for me. And oh my god, I I almost you know my stomach went crazy before I ate it. But then when I ate it, it was like oh, it's like peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So yeah. you you have this very global network, and um, you know you were you grew up in Canada. You were your it sounds like your um. Your career really started there. Um, you, you came to upstate New York to go to school. Um, and then you went back to the Middle East uh, and where we are now, UAE. So how do you like think about your, your network? How do you, and now you're trying to expand it, right? Now you're thinking about the biologists you want to meet and such. So what are you doing to nurture and sustain those broader connections, not the people that you work with every day, but the sort of next second and maybe even third tier out people that you cross paths with and you want to stay in touch? Yes. Um, I have been doing it more or less intuitively. So if I feel that I haven't reached out to those group, you know, in a while, I suddenly, you know, remember that I need to reach out to them. This is something that um, I don't advise others to do it. I think you should have a better system. But for me, it has worked, um, you know, so far. I'm trying to be better at it. And keeping in touch with people, following up, is one of the most, most important things that made uh, all the leaps in my career. So when, when you mentioned about the, the, um, the leadership program for youth in, you know, in Toronto, it was, it was made or it came into fruition because of my follow-up with, um, you know, my, my, my main person there. <clears throat> so if I can take you a, a little bit, you know, back, uh, back story. I was in Montreal and I was one of the organizers. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> my apologies. So I was one of the organizers of a conference, and we had uh, we had a guest who was coming from Toronto. He was working in the United Way Toronto, 
And I really like this person's way of thinking. So I kept in touch. Uh, every time I would go to Toronto for a visit, I would ask to meet him for lunch. He would say yes. He was an older generation than me, Robert. He was working in a, in, you know, in a nonprofit. And at the same time, I was also there. And every year I would go. I think I went two different years and I would meet him. It was just a chat, you know, what are you doing? He asked me, you know, all the things that I was doing and I was up to, and I was asking the same thing. Until we moved from Montreal to Toronto for my husband's work. And, uh, and then I, and I started my, my studies in New York. So I was living in Toronto and I was going back and forth to New York for my courses. <laughs> You're shaking your head. <laughs> no, but they had a really, they have an amazing program. You know, you can take your courses on weekends. You can take some of them online. So it worked out. It worked out very nicely. And then I told him, I told this, uh, this uh, network of mine. At that time, it was a network. I told him, you know, I moved to Toronto. And he said, you know, let's do this lunch again. It was like two years after I moved. I said, okay, I came. And for one hour, he was asking me all the questions, which was normal. But he was asking me more questions. You know, what are you doing? What are you studying? Well, what do you want to do with this study and all that? He was asking me. He didn't give me a chance to ask him. and. Uh, for 50 minutes and then uh, when we were you know just finishing up and everything he said by the way we are uh, we are opening up a position for running a leadership program for young people I want someone to do things very differently and you are the person that I'm looking for are you interested I was like was that an interview he's like yes <laughs> it was an interview and I was like but you know what? He said, well, I've been following you for, for like, we've been following each other, I mean, for a number of years. And I see how you're progressing. That, that came out of follow-up. Yeah. And he said, and he said, this is a program. Uh, we have other leadership programs that are, you know, very similar. You can learn from them, but you can do, you know, your own thing. And he then he gave me this magic word that just made you know, everything. And at, at that time, remember, I was studying full-time. Uh, I had a second child who was one-year-old, and I have a five-year-old, and I was in Toronto, and, I, you know, going back and forth from New York. So I had no time for, you know, for work. <laughs> I just wanted the money, but I had no time for work. And then he gave me the magic word. He said, you can do whatever you want with it. I was like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> And I can do whatever I want. I don't have to rebel against it. He said, whatever you want to do it, as long as it's going to work, you're good. And he was. He was a man of his word. He literally let me do whatever. I flipped everything upside down. And he was okay with that. Well, that is a really good story about following up. I mean, you, you met him initially uh, at this event. And even though he didn't live in your town, you stayed in touch with him. One of the things I tell people to do is if you have the opportunity... Uh, to offer to drive a speaker either to or from the airport because you end up with like 20, 30, 40 minutes sometimes yeah. in a car and you That's know, brilliant. You read something about them, you know, something about them ahead of time. You can have a really engaging conversation one on one. But then what you're saying is it's even more important than that initial conversation is following up, staying in touch, like reaching out and saying, let's get together for coffee and, and trying. And, it sounds like you were making an effort to make it reciprocal. That even though he was older than you and you, you know, you didn't know what you value you could offer him, you stayed in touch. And by virtue of doing that, you ended up offering him something great, which is 
you became the right person for a position he was putting together and he gave you this opportunity to not rebel because he said, do whatever you want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, so, no, absolutely. You're right. And I like this idea of, of driving them and then, you know, opening up new conversation. I love it. Yeah. So, so where are you living now in the UAE? Is that, is it, um, is networking something you're doing locally or are you focusing more of that globally? Like, how are you thinking about your network today? Um, I think it's still the same as before. I mean, coming here, coming here to the UAE was also a, a huge leap in in different fields, right? So I was I was working with the with the, this organization. I was running a, a leadership program, and and then I got into the design thinking arena, and then I was very you know interested in it, and I was doing workshops and all that, and then. For some reason, one of my goals was like, I want to be teaching in a higher, you know, higher education, right? I want to teach in a university. I don't know what that means like, uh, you know, I have not, no idea of it. So I reached out to a person that I don't know, right? So he was, he was teaching architecture engineering at a university here in the UAE. He's a Moroccan guy studied, you know, worldwide, but then he was teaching here. And I, I sent him an email. I said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm writing a lot about, you know, creative spaces, you know, at that time, that was the thing, you know, how can the space affect your, your brain and your ideas and all that. Uh, and then I said, you know, I'm writing about this. And I'm also wondering, how is it like, you know, teaching at a university? Do you like it? What do you don't like it? And, I was like, and it was like a cold email. I, I wanted nothing from him other than, you know, tell me your experience. And then he replied and he told me his experience. He said, are you an architect? We're looking for architects. And I said, nope, I'm not an architect at all. Um, but guess what? You know, I know a little bit about design thinking, which is similar to what, you know, you teach in architecture school. You teach, you know, the design process, right? And he said, would you like to apply for a job? And I was like, <laughs> you're kidding, right? And he said, no, just send whatever you have. Let's see if you're coming from the same um, you know, mindset. We want people to think more creatively. We want to help them think through the design, you know, what it just happened to be a building, and um, apply for it. And I applied and I got, uh, you know, an interview with three engineers who just asked me all sorts of questions about my experience in both the design process, which is a design thinking and leadership. And I ended up coming here teaching. First of all, I was teaching architecture students. I had no idea of this. So I opened up, you know, new network about where are the architects around the world? Where are the engineers around the world? You know, show me all those people. I need to learn. So I was reading a book by night and teaching a class in the morning. It was like drama. <laughs> and I, and I, but I was teaching them what I knew. I was teaching them the design process. I was teaching them ideation, how to think about spaces. And then the design leadership, when they were about to graduate, you know, remember our idea about the, the, the torch, you know, what, what is it exactly? What's the idea that you want to take lead in? And then I included a bunch of things from biomimicry to AI to technology, all that in, and so that they can choose where they want to lead in. So I, this, there's a theme going through this interview which is that you're willing to take risks and reach out to people and 
not any big expectation of, you know, the same thing, like when you went to the library and you were looking at all those, those magazines, you, you were sort of opening yourself up to new ideas. Um, when you, you know, reached out to and followed up with that speaker, you, you weren't doing with any outcome in mind and yet something good came of it. When you reached out to this person who was, you know, half a world away, you were asking questions like, and and yet it has led over and over again. I mean, sure, there's times you reached out and nothing happened yes. other than like a curious response, but that opened- Or no response. <laughs> or no response. Yes. But that didn't slow you down. That doesn't stop you from thinking that this works. Like if I want to know something, I will go ask somebody. Like that's your, the world is yours. Like you have, you know, the, the networks exist. And if you don't, if you're not currently in them, so most people think of their networks in sort of like more like, you know, really kind of connected uh, spiderweb style. And I think yours are more like quilt patchwork. <laughs> I love know, that. <laughs> where you jump from one patch to another when you, when you want to learn something, you like, you like jump into the new patch and you learn everything you can about that new patch. And then you're like, oh, that looks interesting. And you jump to another patch and it is, it is woven together. I mean, it is one network, but you're aware of the fact that there, there's ways to leap. This is something we all could learn to do more of us, even small scales, being willing to like leap over and see what, what's it look like over there. And then, you know, you're not committed to staying there either. Yes. Just, it's just yes. a way to like check it out. I think that's a really interesting. I love your image, Robbie. This is beautiful. I'm going to get me some quilt now <laughs> and, and maybe learn a little bit about it. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I do believe in intentions. If you set an intention uh, and you have a dream, but you don't get attached to how you're going to reach that dream. That's the most important thing. So you, you, you write your image, you write your. I, I learned a very, very nice uh, trick that at school they, they it was part of an assignment that worked brilliantly. We were basically asked to write a letter. Um, you know, it it was dated years in advance when I am ninety years old. So I would write the date when I am ninety years old. I don't remember now what, what's that date. And then I would write a letter about things that I have accomplished in my life in past tense. Right. I did this. I did this. I have this kids. I have, you know, these these are my kids. This is what they're like. This is what I have done in my life. I, all of that. Right. So I did it. That was 2007, 2008, something like that. And then I wrote this letter and forgot about it. I got my grade and that's it. It was done. We finished. Five years after, now I finished my schooling, I moved to the UAE, I am in this new role. I think I even left that university. I started, you know, I was teaching entrepreneurship or something else, innovation, I think, in another university. And I found this letter again, right? So five years after, and I read it and I was like, oh my God, 90% of what I wrote that I was going to do had, had been accomplished. It was done. I even wrote in that letter that I have two boys and a girl. And at that time, I did not have that. And now I have two boys and a girl, right? <laughs> and I wrote that, you know, I was teaching university, you know, university level, and I was, you know, in good connection with my students, and the students graduated. 
and it happened. I was teaching university and they graduated. And until this day, some of them are still, you know, sending me and, and, and we're keeping in touch and finding out. And it just, it exactly happened. It was an intention. You set it up and you write it down and then forget about it. And then your unconscious just brings it into your attention because you start to see things, you know? So you're reminding me, uh, Rhonda, of... Um... So I did an exercise at a program. I'm, I'm a person who reads a book that has the exercises at the end of each chapter, and I just read it and then move to the next page and don't do the exercise. But I, I was told to read this book in preparation for this uh, fellowship. And the first weekend we were together, they then had us do the exercises all together. And then, so here I am in a room full of 20 people, and then we, they're like, okay, you have 20 minutes to do this exercise. And so, of course, I did the exercises, and one of them was, to um, to describe your perfect day and how what would your perfect day look like? And then I too found that five years later and like was able to say that this is, I mean, I at the time I was working a full-time job and I was like, you know, I probably even might have had a second job. I, mean, I was just like, not my, my time was on my own, but I described I, you know, I got up and I went to the gym and I had lunch with somebody and then I got some work done and then I was working on a book and I was, and I was like, basically the idea was my time was my own. And by the time I read it a second time, I had left my day job to pursue entrepreneurship full time. Right. And like you said that, and I, when I wrote it, had no idea that that five years was possible. Like it would, it felt like a distant life, you know, yeah. wish. This is yep. your intention. You, you set it. You set the intention, and it yeah. works out. You know, when you buy a car, and then suddenly every car you see is exactly the same car that you. Because it was, it, you focused on it. You focus on the brand, on the color, and everything, and then suddenly you see it everywhere. Right. All this time. is your subconscious, <laughs> and the same thing with your thing. You wrote down how do you want it, and then your mind started, you know, fitting things together, and it made it. Good, good it's for almost you. Almost like instead of us making resolutions each calendar year, we should be setting intentions. That should be yes. a universal practice because I, I think so. intentions subconsciously we can keep working on. Resolutions we often by February one. Uh, <laughs> what they were. <laughs> I, I don't do resolutions. Yes, I, I, I didn't think about making intention, but this is a good thing. But I think if you write your intention in present or past tense, is way much stronger than if you write it in the future. The future is like, oh, I'll do it later. And if you're a procrastinator like me, then it's not going to get done. But if you say, I am currently doing it, then, you know, you either do it or you're a liar. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. I love it. So so when we get a chance to reconnect, I know that we see each other online quite a bit, which is lovely. But I want to talk about a year from now when we're getting together talking about all your successes. You know that this is one of my favorite questions that I ended with. So... I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Wow. Oh, you will. I, well, you want me to make a resolution? <laughs> an intention. Uh, an intention. <laughs> yes, I love that. Uh, I did not think about this question because, my, as you see, most of the things that I do happen because, you know, there's an opportunity and I, take, I make use of it. But I do have goals, right? I do have things that I want to accomplish. I do want to be, uh, to have a better, you know, program, innovation program that, uh, that I'm currently helping others to see how do they, uh, facilitate, uh, 
innovation within the organization. I do want uh, my subscription box to go in a very, uh, you know, in a good way because it helps you uh, become more creative at work. Um, I do, uh, what else? I, uh, I am thinking of taking part of those innovation programs and making it as an online course so that it reaches more people. So that's in the, if, it, if I don't accomplish it, Within 2019, if it's not out there, then at least if it is in the making, right? This is this is a promise. I am working on it, mm-hmm. and I want if I do meet you again a year from now, I want to be able to tell you uh, some of the surprises that I encountered and how did I use. So there has to be a surprise. Absolutely! Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> imagine your life being linear without some jumping off points. <laughs> You spinning a globe and putting your finger on it and ending up in the Amazon is just still going to be an image that stays with me for a very long time. Um, that's pretty amazing. I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture if you don't believe yeah. me. Yeah, I, I do believe. You. That's the thing. So, where can people find you and follow your work? Okay, thank you for this. I really appreciate your time, Robbie. So, I thank you for this. And yes, you can find me on sajuri.com. And if you actually, if you actually down, uh, like you add your email, you will instantly download uh, 15 ways of having an imaginative day at work. One of them is the uh, tool that I told you of going to a magazine and a magazine store and looking through ideas. And, and I offer, you know, 14 other ways for you to come up with ideas every single day. So you can, you can go to that website. I'm also on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube. And I have to say how much I love that Imagine S is imagination and happiness. Yes. Like I didn't get it at first. And then I was like, oh, that's so good. It's so good. As was this conversation. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rhonda. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 141. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. And don't forget, your challenge this week is to figure out where your time has gone. Aren't you even a little curious? Maybe you're really as busy as you think you are, but it's likely you'll find some free time that you didn't know you had. Register for the free masterclass replay to download the resources to help you get started and to learn when is more important than what or how as you work on your goals for 2019. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash goals two. If you enjoyed this episode with Rhonda, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. And I have to just say, it's always just really amazing to see this feedback. So if you're thinking about it, take a minute and do it. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. 
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.